Coming up on Abounding Grace. Trying to fix something in the flesh, our own human ideas, our own human energy, trying to fix something in the flesh that was already broken because of the flesh will only lead to disaster. You know why? The, you know what the Bible says, Romans chapter 8, verse 8? The Bible says this, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So how many of us in the flesh can please God? None. How often can we please God in the flesh? Never. Ever. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. From great potential to great disaster. That, in a nutshell, is the story of King Saul. And very sadly, it's a story that's been repeated through the ages. We hope and pray today's message from Pastor Ed Taylor will encourage you in a much different direction. And that is a life that is lived for the glory of God rather than the flesh. We're watching the downfall of a man and king as we open 1 Samuel 14 here on Abounding Grace. Notice carefully in verse 24 again, I have taken vengeance instead of the Lord has defeated. The spiritual condition of our lives are not only revealed by the fruit of our actions, but more so by the fruit of our mouths. By the fruit of our mouths. Can I show you something? Would you turn over to Matthew chapter 12 with me, please? The fruit of our mouths. Do you want to know your spiritual condition today? Consider the words you use today. Consider the things that are in your mouth. Maybe you're uh, refined enough to not say things, but you think things just as well. Notice with me Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. He says, Jesus does, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Why? For a tree is known by its fruit. Now, you guys don't even have to be like arborists or gardeners or anything. It's pretty easy to tell a tree by the fruit. If there are apples hanging on the tree, what kind of tree is it? See, it's that, that easy. Now, if you look at an apple and you go, what is that? You're in trouble, all right? So, but a tree can be, you know, peaches and apples. You just know. You, you don't have to be an expert on that. Pretty much can make a good conclusion. If you, if you don't know what the fruit is, you can ask your friend, what is that fruit? And they'll tell you what it is, and you know what kind of tree it is. That's what Jesus said. And then he says, verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of her, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word, I have a little note here in my Bible, every idle word that men may speak, they'll give account of it in the day of judgment. And I have a little note here that says, O Lord, help me. Because this statement is true for you, it's true for me. Every idle word. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I've certainly had my fair share of idle words. For with your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. How careful we need to be. See, we know what's going on in Saul. Why? 
Because right away we see that not only does he make a foolish vow, made people keep this foolish oath, but he says instead of the Lord saving Israel that day, he's going to take vengeance on his enemies. And as a result, back in verse 24 of Samuel 14, so none of the people tasted food. What a dumb thing. These guys are like military monsters. Like they are the, the elite of the, they've been fighting and fighting and fighting. And Saul, because of his pride and arrogance, calls down a foolish pride. Nobody eat. And you'll see the results of it. According to verse 24, it says, and all the men of Israel will distress that day. It leads to dis, a distressing. In verse 25, the people of the land came to the forest. There was honey on the ground. And when the people would come into the woods, there was honey dripping, but no one put his hand to the mouth for the people feared the oath. Not only are they distressed, but they're fearful. These are military warriors put into a place of distressing fear. Now, Jonathan hadn't heard the charge heard his father's charge, verse 27, the people with an oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of his rod that was in his hand, dipped it in a honeycomb, put it in his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. You know, a lot of times with those, those folks, like my mom had this, uh, when she had low blood sugar, if she would just take something sweet, boy, it would just, man, pick her up. It would pepper up. And that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, he, was, he was losing energy, uh, he has been fighting with his armor bearer. He takes a little honey, which would have been good for anybody to take it. And his countenance immediately is better. He's immediately recharged. And then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people, now here's another consequence of the foolish vow. The people were very faint. They were distressed, faint, very faint, and fearful. How much better if the people had eaten freely, verse 30. Excuse me, verse 29. But Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance was brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For now, would there have not been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? What a foolish thing to do. If you're looking for a phrase to describe King Saul here, the best phrase that I could come up with is this is a fleshly, carnal man. For reference, you can jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning right in verse 1. Paul just straight up tells the church, you guys are being carnal. And he describes what it looks like and what was going on in their lives. And this is Saul taking things into his own hands. Jonathan didn't hear anything. He ate because he was hungry, and his action put him in a very difficult position. God used him to bring victory, but man, his dad and king, put him under false defeat. There was victory from the Lord, but the oppression of man and the bad decisions of man put them under false defeat. And his conclusion was very wise, wasn't it? Verse 29, my father has troubled the land. Verse 31. Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, so the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep, oxen, calves, and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. 
And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat, and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Saul's foolish vow not only weakened the troops, but created in them an unusual craving for food to replenish themselves. They wildly ate the food of the enemy like wild beasts. They ate it unclean and unprepared. And with the spoils, the soldiers acted wildly, even eating it with the blood, not even taking note of, why, you know, knowing that they shouldn't be doing that. And yet in verse 33, as Saul jumps in, what does he do? He blames the people. Then they told Saul, look, the people are sinning against the Lord. And then he says, you've dealt treacherously. He created this. It's not taking responsibility away from the people, but as the leader, you and I can really help people or hurt people. And Saul's led them to this. It was his sinful actions. And then once again, Saul takes the role of a priest. He's not a priest to try to correct this in his flesh. And how careful we need to be to not try to perfect in the flesh what God has begun in the spirit. That's what the Bible says. How careful we need to be to not perfect in the flesh what God has begun in the spirit. You see, when you step out in the flesh, then you recognize, when God busts you on it, you recognize that there's only one good response to our fleshly actions. You know what it is? Repentance. That's the only acceptable response. I mean, when God busts us on it and he reveals something in our lives, maybe God uses someone to share a word with us or the obvious situation is like, man, I was just fleshly on that. The only one response that will bring you back into right relationship with the Lord and with others is repentance. Like David said in Psalm 51, verse two, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Listen, Trying to fix something in the flesh that has already been broken because of the flesh will only lead to disaster. Let me repeat that. Trying to fix something in the flesh, our own human ideas, our own human energy, trying to fix something in the flesh that was already broken because of the flesh will only lead to disaster. You know why? The, you know what the Bible says, Romans chapter 8, verse 8? The Bible says this. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So how many of us in the flesh can please God? None. How often can we please God in the flesh? Never. Ever. Of course, the example that comes to mind so quickly uh, in my mind is Abram and Sarah being told to wait for the promise of God and deciding, no, you know, it's impossible. God can't do this. Here's Hagar. It's culturally customary. Just go into Hagar and we'll make our own kid and we'll fulfill the promise of God. A fleshly response that led to Ishmael. And from Ishmael, we still suffer the consequences of that fleshly decision to this day. To this very day. Don't let verse 35 fool you here. Saul built an altar to the Lord. He built an altar to the Lord in the flesh. He built an altar to the Lord in the flesh. A lot of times I've noticed that there is a temptation to try to cover up fleshly works in our lives 
with an attitude of worship. It's such a dangerous thing where you come into an environment like this and you know your life isn't right. You know you're not walking with the Lord. You know that things aren't going the way that God desires. You know that you're in sin. You know that there's a fleshliness about you and you raise your hands, oh, I love you, Lord. No, you don't. Not in the way that he prescribes. Because if you're in the company of believers and God has revealed to you the area of your life, you only have one response, that's repentance. Get things right. Get things right, first of all, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then you love your neighbor as yourself. You don't just build, oh, I'm going to build an altar, that'll cover it up. Well, continue on reading with King Saul's life. Building an altar and not dealing with your flesh covers nothing up. This guy made a foolish vow that's going to lead him to want to kill his own son, to abandon his own son. That's not from the Lord. Pick up with me in verse 36. And Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. And let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. And then the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God. Shall I go down to the Philistines? Now that's a good, that's a good, that there's a piece of good here. That's a good phrase. Saul asked counsel of God. Let's see how God responds. So I, shall I go down to the Philistines? Will you deliver him into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. Wow. You see the rashness of King Saul ready to put his own son to death, as we'll see in a moment. And he cries out as he's looking for wisdom. And in his prayer, God does not answer his prayer. You know when our prayers aren't answered, church? It's one of God's ways. It's not the only, but it's one of God's ways of saying to us, something isn't right, son. Something's not right, daughter. Heavens are going to be silent because something's not right. According to Psalm 66, in verse 18, it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. God didn't answer because Saul wasn't ready to receive the answer. It seems that Saul was blaming his son. It was an irrational, unspiritual action that leads to really a dumb response. Notice it says in verse 38, And Saul said, Come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what that, this sin was today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel. Oh, now he says it. Oh, who the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. Really? Really? But not a man among all the people answered him. And this he said to all Israel, you will be the one on one side, my son Jonathan, and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die? And Saul answered, God do so and more also for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, Saul, Jonathan die who's accomplished this great salvation of Israel? Certainly not. 
As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. And so the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Praise God for those people. Praise God for people who will stand up with, for what is right when someone needs to stand up for what is right. Save Jonathan's life. I mean, this is the king of Israel ready to kill his own son because of a foolish vow that he made that had no bearing in relationship with God. And the people go, Are you gonna do, you're not going to do that. You're the king, of, you're the king but we're not going to do that. You're not going to kill Jonathan. And Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. <laughs> the Lord sorts it all out. And Saul is more determined to kill his own son for taking honey when he was hungry rather than defending himself or fighting back. Do you notice what Jonathan said? He, he said it matter-of-factly, but he says, you know, for taking honey, uh, that I must, verse 43, so now I must die? I mean, that, is that the way it is? I, I need to die because I broke your foolish vow? Now, we're often faced, are we not, church, with situations where someone is pushing us for a defense, maybe even prodding us to defend ourselves. And isn't it in those times when you really feel like defending yourself? <laughs> Have you ever feel like that? Anybody ever feel like they just really want to defend themselves? Like there are times when we just feel that overwhelming human response to defend ourselves. And it's natural. Confronted with a situation where someone's pushing for a defense, we, we want to defend ourselves. We desire to stand up for ourselves. And too many times, not only do we want, but we often take things into our own hands, even wanting to inflict revenge on others or just simply defend ourselves. After all, you've been hurt so badly that you think it's your right now to make them hurt just as bad. You might even feel that right now as we're going through this study. You, you may see this unfold and you go, how unfair and how, un, how unrighteous, how wrong, how foolish. And you're even trying to defend Jonathan. And yet, as we have that desire to jump in and defend ourselves, I'm reminded of what my pastor taught me so many years ago, repetitively, still teaching me. And I have the privilege of handing it down to you and just planting that seed in your heart. You know, our pastor, Pastor Chuck, and my pastor, Pastor Jeff, always encourages us to be spiritually careful and biblically grounded when accusations come. Spiritually careful and biblically grounded when accusations come. You want to know why? Accusations will come. And some of the most deepest burning accusations come to an area of your life where you are absolutely a man or a woman of integrity in that area. Doesn't that make sense? Where the wildest accusations, the ones that no one should ever believe, are right to the, it's just like a shot to the arrow to the heart of your integrity, of your character, your name, how you're known, your reputation. And of course, that's going to provoke, like, what do you mean? How could you say such a thing? You know, it's going to provoke these things and how careful we need to be because they will come. The Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us before the throne of God day and night. Accusations come uh, from the, the, the devil. Accusations come from this world system as it turns upon righteousness and blames everything on the believers, blames everything on Christians. Every problem in the world is uh, because of Christians in the, I mean, it just doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's upside down. We're living in a day, aren't we, where the Bible says that people are calling good evil and evil good. Don't be surprised by it. 
even from the lips of those that may claim to be believers, where some of the most vicious accusations may come from people that you love and are close to. The enemy is relentless and wants to destroy your life. Isn't that good news? Good night, guys. <laughs> you know, you've heard it said, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Amen. And the devil hates you and has a wicked, horrible plan to destroy your life. And so isn't it good to know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that he's holding tightly in our lives, loving and caring for you and for me, so protective. And so when, our, when we're confronted with accusations, remember this. Option number one, jump in and defend ourselves. If that's what you want to do, then God will let you. If you want to be a defender of yourself and you want to jump in and defend yourself, then take option number one. See, the problem, though, is that you'll never be able to defend yourself against false accusations. You want to know why? They're false. They're not true. They're spoken by someone that is deceived or purposely deceitful. So when you go to defend yourself, have you ever done this? Where you, you might have gotten an email and then you responded with an email and then they turned that email against you and said, and then before you know it, you're like, oh my God. I know, but that's what happens. And here's the problem. The real problem is that when we jump into the mud, all that really happens is we get muddy, dirty up. And the situation gets muddier and gets dirtier and it doesn't really solve anything. But option number two is to step back and watch God be our defender. If we truly are men and women of integrity, if we truly are, do have a life that reflects the character and nature of God, then just sit and wait and watch. God will be your defender. And if you want God to be your defender, God will watch your back. You can trust him. Not only God will, will God watch your back, I would suggest to you today that God is watching your back. He will bring about equity and justice in his timing. How do we know this? Because Jesus' own precious son died to forgive you of your sins. He gave his all for you. He died so that you and I might live. And in his resurrection, that you and I might find strength and sufficiency for our everyday life, including accusations that are thrown our way. We're not to respond in our own flesh, in our own strength, in our own wisdom. As Jonathan stands there and says, I die, notice how many people jumped in and said, no, you don't. You will not kill Jonathan. I mean, we, it's almost as if they're like, you kill us before you kill Jonathan. This, you, you're missing something. This, this is not, you, you are not, Saul, you, that's your son. You're missing something and you're not going to kill him. And then Jonathan's life, I just so thankful, so, so thankful for the people. Verse 45, did you see that? The people. We don't know their names. All we know is the people stood up and the people rescued it says at the end of verse 45 rescued Jonathan and he did not die he died to himself only to live you're listening to Abounding Grace with pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor today's message is one part of a series based in 1 Samuel you'll find this and many other messages taught by Ed at calvaryaurora.org or request a CD copy for $2 when you call 877-30-GRACE. 
That's 877-304-7223. And if you haven't already, be sure to download the Calvary Aurora and the Grace FM Colorado apps. You can listen to Pastor Ed and many other teachers from your mobile device. Available on all platforms. Well, it seems as though everyone is looking for love. Just think about how many movies feature a lonely person looking for love and significance. But maybe you've also noticed few find it. In his book, Love the Most Excellent Way, Pastor Chuck Smith takes a close look at genuine love. You'll discover what it is, what it does, and where it's found. You're invited to request a copy when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. That's Love the Most Excellent Way. And we're very grateful for your prayerful and financial support. It allows us to bring these Bible studies to your station each day. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. Those who prefer to write, here's our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Glad you've taken time out for our study in 1 Samuel. We'll be looking at this wonderful book the rest of the week, so be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora. 